Hello and welcome to episode 82 of the Waters Wavelength podcast. My name is James Rundle and I basically <laughs> screwed up the entire podcast last week while our leader Anthony Malakian was away on vacation. It's the run of the ship. Sorry. Yeah. This, uh... <laughs> Anthony Malakian here, U.S. editor, James Rundle, news editor, uh, both for Waters, obviously. And uh, today we're going to discuss a little bit about uh, ESG. I wrote a magnificent feature, a great feature. It's very long. Some, very, very long. Yeah. 4,000 words on you know, ESG and AI and just, yeah, it's... Uh, Quantity, yeah, quality. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I try and give you your bang for your buck. <laughs> and it's not exactly cheap to, uh, you know, it costs a couple bucks to get a subscription to us. Sure, <laughs> yeah, um, and then we're going to transition over looking at, uh, you know, some uh, some political announcements around uh, Reg Sai. And then, of course, as his tradition, uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, Jim, you know, thought it was one of the best episodes, you know, that he's seen of that. I thought it was one of the best episodes in television history, actually. Best episodes in television history. At least modern television history. He obviously never watched any of The Wire or West Wing, but I digress. Well, we'll get into that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, first up, uh, I wrote a feature. Congratulations on me. Um, on Not only wrote a feature, but okay, so this is something that Tony's done for the last couple of months, which none of us can understand. We've all got kind of a pool going as to when he's going to stop doing it, which mm -hmm. is filing a feature for the print magazine, yeah. which I imagine you all have uh, close at hand, and then filing almost a completely different feature for the online version, which is twice the length and requires twice the effort. So, Well, this is old school journalism versus new school journalism, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, I can't, my genius no, cannot be contained see, yeah. to four pages in a magazine. Yeah. I need to roam, man. I need to get into I mean, this it. This room's you know? barely contained the size of your head. I, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's, it's not easy walking through a door. Um, so, so yes, the magazine version uh, is the truncated version of uh, of the online version. So, I encourage you to go if you really want the full. You know, one's the abridged version, one's the the, the natural or whatever. Yeah. But um, basically, the whole point of the article is just you know there's been a lot of talk around uh, ESG investments. Um, it's becoming you know both politically and in the investment worlds, um, much more talked about. Um, and as, as some uh, passive strategies, you know, it's, you know, the indices and stuff like that, that, that it's becoming, there's more interest, I guess, going that way. And so Joe Faulkner, uh, my colleague on Inside Data Management, she had written a very good story. She beat me to the punch, and I didn't know she was writing about it, but uh, she beat me to the punch. Uh, she wrote about uh, ESG data, the data providers, and stuff like that. This uh, article is going to focus more on the platforms, touched on the data and everything like that, on the, the online version of it, does the 4,000 order. Um, but then it looks at some of the um, the, the platforms being used, uh, how they're being used by uh, the end users. Um, it goes into a little bit about the AI, artificial intelligence, how that can start to change things in the space and make this data uh, more viable. And it also looks at some of the research around that, that, that kind of gives the business case for why ESG is worthwhile. So, Yeah, I mean, I died a question on it, actually. Um, it, it's more, I guess, on the finance side of it. But um, earlier on in the feature, you talk about how I think ESG investments tend to outperform the benchmark by a certain extent. Um, yeah. Why is that? Is that just because people are more interested in investing in it? Is it because the investments tend to pay off over a longer time period? Do you sort of get to the bottom of that? 
what now there are there's literally a research paper of all research papers that's mentioned in here but so there's numerous research around this um, academic research the gist and everybody's kind of got their own little theories but the way that the the way that i saw it most being viable was that um companies that practice sound ESG sustainability standards that follow uh, SASB's, you know, uh, recommendations for materiality. Um, companies that are farther along that path have better operational standards, have better governance, um, that they have more diversity in their workforce, in their board level, in their decision making. Um, and all of that combined together leads to companies that are better run are going to be less likely to incur fines or you know negative headlines and that's why they're going to outperform uh companies that rank lower um in those in those uh categories you gotta remember with esg uh, environmental social and governance there's it's such a wide they're packaging a lot of things into this i mean in the, and in each sector, in each industry, what matters on the E and what matters on the S and what matters on the G will change. Um, not, it's not apples to apples across all industries, across all peer groups, um, and ESG are separate things in and of themselves. So there is a little bit of a debate as to which ones matter more, which factors are important. And I guess that maybe that's where the art of it comes into, you know, where you as an investment company will decide all right, these are the factors that we care most about, which companies rate the highest in these areas. So um, I guess that was kind of, you know, one of the more interesting things, but there is a lot of research that shows that, you know, that these are safer picks. And, um, you know, we I spoke with uh, a woman from uh, Zevin uh, Asset Management, which just focused, they're, they're about sustainability advocacy. Um, not a big asset manager, small one um, based in Boston or somewhere up there. And, um, you know, you look at their, at, at how they perform against their benchmark, which is the MSCI, one of the MSCI world um, benchmarks. And during the credit crisis, during the uh, dot-com bust, stuff like that, it was hit, it was hurt, it was in the net, it, it dropped. But it was far less impactful than the benchmark suffered. Now in boom times, you know the the kind of the run up to the to the um, to to 2008, it didn't quite perform as high. It was it was outperforming. It was it was, and it was positive and going up, but not nearly as much as the MSCI uh, uh, and benchmark was going up. Right. So it's kind of this, but now I guess that's what we're seeing in a lot of ways that there is a drive toward investors kind of going toward um, these I don't know safer passive roots rather than the active management and so i think that people are starting to see that there's certainly value in even if you're not gonna go and straight up invest in um in an esg portfolio or whatever including these factors into your um research of a company it can only help to perform if you're ignoring this if you're ignoring if, if there's a wealth of information that's out there now about how these companies are doing beyond just what their corporate reports are, which are can be misleading and are often in the past. But there's a ton of news about how these companies are performing in these different areas. 
if you're not incorporating that into your investment process, into your decision-making process, then you're kind of just willfully just ignoring something where science and research has shown that these companies tend to do better if they perform well in these categories. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people are starting to come around to that. And so there's a lot of information out there and it's, it's becoming a little bit easier to start to, to weed through some of this, relatively speaking. You can bring in more data sets, you can store it, you can analyze, you can use natural language processing, stuff like that to kind of pick out specifically what you're looking for. And there's a lot of vendors that are entering into this space. Yeah. So I think that's kind of maybe the biggest movement. Well, that's the, in yeah, that's the really interesting part, I guess, of the features. I, I mean, coming from a traditional kind of stereotypical stock picking perspective, you know, you'd buy Apple because you think they make good computers and therefore their stock's going to rise, or Intel yeah. because they make good chips and or good memories, sure. whatever. Um, as you say, there's now all these other kind of factors that go into deciding which stocks you pick or which indexes or which baskets you do. And there's probably quite a few people going, yeah, Rundle, of course, that's been with them over years, but I, look, I cover derivatives, okay, <laughs> basically lots yeah. of equities. Um, so when you're, you're looking at these stocks now um, and you're factoring in ESG and you're factoring in all these different kind of fundamentals into your sort of portfolio view, um, you know, how necessary is it to have these kind of AI and machine learning and NLP sort of tools to help you sift through the data? I mean, is it something that humans can still do or do you really need that extra? Yeah, it, it, this is just going to straight up be we're going to make it easier for the research analysts to kind of go through, for the portfolio manager to go through mm -hmm. and be alerted and, and tipped off and have maybe a better score. There's a lot of scores that exist. Everybody's kind of got their own scoring on the ESG scale. And there, a lot of people say that it's not really that helpful. That's all improving now. Like a happy flower and a sad flower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a wilted flower, you know, just dead in the ground. And this one's fertilizer. But I guess that could be good. Um, but yeah, I think that that's what it, this isn't supposed to, this will no way, uh, especially here. I mean, we can have a debate about AI and how it's going to you know, remove humans, stuff like that, but that's not happening here. This is just simply, it helps you to make a more informed decision on a security, on a basket of securities. And then if you want to just go and straight up just to make an investment, you know, your retail millennial investors, they're going to be more likely to want to invest into, um, into these kind of buckets than you know your baby boomer but also i thought that that was kind of that, that was something i was very skeptical of just kind of going into sure fine fair enough younger investors are going to be more you know inclined to give yeah socially conscious you know kind of go, go and invest in sustainability issues stuff like that ultimately at the end of the day capital markets about making money yeah. you know and if that's what the research shows the research shows that these are just good companies doesn't matter about the millennials it matters about that these are better run companies and thus they are more likely to outperform their peers that aren't quite as well run in these regards and that's what it comes down to it's just about making a buck and, and i guess this is a misconception i had about esg is it fairly neutral as to what the company does um so for instance could smith and wesson a gun maker have a high esg rating because it may have some environmentally friendly practices well run might have some female representation on the board Regardless of whether it's a you know a, 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 gun, maker. a gun maker or whether it's a sure. sit industry or something like that, I mean, is it kind of agnostic? To Again, that, that all comes down to that's the importance of your peer group. So a right. coal company, you know, yeah. stripping a mountain of right. coal, not exactly environmentally friendly, yeah. but there are pra these things exist anyway, and you're going to invest in these companies. Yeah. So yes, of course, you're not going to compare, you know, Smith and Weston to. Teddy bear Rupskin maker, you know, kind of whatever it is. <laughs> that, it's not yes, apples, apples. <laughs> um, 
but certainly you'll you'll compare them to other gun makers and gun manufacturers that would probably be under Cerberus's uh, uh, <laughs> belt. Um, but so I think that that's that, yeah. So that's the, I guess the misconception. This isn't just say oh you're a bad company so you're gonna have bad. Yeah. No, this is your company that I can invest in. Yeah. Are your practices at the board level? You know, are your CO two emissions? You know. Within whatever the standard realms is, but I'm not oh, energy get by the European Commission. Is this going to impact my dividends? Exactly, exactly. Like what are the negative headlines that come out? What are the fines that can come out? That's what this is looking into, and so that's why it's important to compare peer group to peer group, as opposed to here's just a score. This score, oh, they got an 82. Oh, they have a 73. Well, maybe that 82 isn't so good with that peer group, but that 73 is outstanding in their peer group. Right, you know, sure. so I, I think that that's, you know, an oil company is going to be more inclined to have oil leakages and spillages yeah. than, you know, Con Ed, which I talked about, you know, they had one. So it's, it's a little bit more jarring when they have one. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting topic. It's something that, um, again, it's just, it's one piece. You know, we talk about AI a lot. And AI, you can just easily get lost in the weeds, and it's overhyped, certainly. Um, and sometimes we have a tendency to kind of just jump on away. But I think when you look at AI, you either look at the different techniques that there are. I, you drill into the natural language processing, you drill into the decision tree, the random forest, the k-nearest, whatever it is, deep learning, and you try and figure out what specifically about that process, what, what specific about that technique is unique for the capital markets, yeah. or else then you try and figure out what is this one subset and how can AI help out with that? So in this case, ESG, how can AI kind of come in and maybe help improve the sifting of this data and maybe make these um, these uh, portfolios easier to understand and more viable, I guess, is the way that, that we should go about looking. I don't know if the audience would agree with that, but. I think it's kind of the way, you know, capital markets and the media of capital markets such as us have always got around cover. Thinking back to like cloud and stuff like that. Yeah, we covered cloud as a topic. We also saw how it'd be applicable to risk management or to sort of compliance or to post processing, whatever. So yeah, I guess this is no different to that. It's just trying to reframe your focus and not look at the bigger picture, but look at the smaller parts. Yeah. And sort of see where they come in. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we'll always make mistakes, you know, where we, where we overplay our hand on AI. Um, but I do think that these are, you know, again, we're not talking about, you know, revolutionary AI here. This isn't machine tech. This is, you know, this is workflow management and natural language processing. You know, you know, RPA, that kind of stuff. You know, low level, yeah. interesting stuff, but stuff and that's this certainly is what attainable. Always say to us as well, it's like this isn't new. Yeah. The only thing that's new is the fact that we are now technologically capable of doing it. Yes. The yeah. The speed of the results is quicker. Yeah. Um, exactly. Than that more than anything. So um, give it a look again. Four thousand words. So you know, um, you know, or just yeah, get the magazine. And also, yeah, look, we rip on each other on this <laughs> podcast, but it is really worth your time. It's a hell of a feature. Ah, thank you, thank you, Jim. So yeah. I won't fire you today. Uh, <laughs> you hear that? Not yeah. today. <laughs> so moving on, let's uh, look at more of the news. And yeah. who better to talk to than our news editor? Exactly. That is my job for one more day at least. So uh, we have a yeah. senator talking about finance, and that's always scary, but I guess in this one it uh, <laughs> kind of makes a little bit sense. Yeah, so uh, Mark Warner, he's a Democrat from Virginia. Um, he's relatively senior. I mean, he's a ranking member on the banking subcommittee. He's the vice chair of the intelligence committee. Kind of strange that the two together, actually, but he's actually quite focused in, in on um, like arcane aspects of market structure. So he recently wrote to Jay Clayton, the SEC chairman, about uh, market maker rebates at exchanges, which is not normally something senators tend to get involved with. Sure. And he uh, introduced bipartisan um, 
legislation around security standards for the Internet of Things, which obviously me and our reporter covered a while back as well. Sure. Head of the curve, that's Waters. Um, <laughs> and anyway, on August the 1st, he wrote back to Jay Clayton again, um, talking about Reg SCI, which is another niche part of the market which you don't expect senators to get involved with. So for those who don't know, Reg SCI was introduced in 2014. It's Regulations, Systems, Compliance, and Integrity. The cool kids call it Reg SCI. Reg SCI, yes. Yeah. Um, I'm not very cool, so I call it Reg SCI. So <laughs> <laughs> or Reg Ski. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, the idea behind this um, regulation was just to kind of put some standards in place around the technological infrastructure of the financial market, so cybersecurity standards, operational standards, uh, disaster recovery, that kind of thing as well. Mm. Um, it kind of got overshadowed by Reg AT and everything else that came out, so no one really heard much about it. And this is kind of what he's saying in this. He's like, you know, guys, um, there's a lot going around about cybersecurity at the moment, so a lot going on about cybercrime, more and more people becoming affected by it. Since you put this regulation out in 2014, um, you've not let anybody know who's been added to the list since then or whatever, so broker-dealers and investors don't know if their trading platform they're using is being governed by this regulation or whether it's essentially sure. ungoverned by it. Seems like a fair point. I and think that, Well, I think he had a good quote, and this is an important takeaway, I think. So he, he wrote, um, since, it's a, since its effective date, the SEC has not publicly disclosed which market centers have become subject to Reg Sci, nor is it required market centers to disclose whether they are or are not subject to Reg Sci. Hence, investors are unable to determine whether their orders are being routed to market centers which are being held to requirements to having a strong audited cybersecurity uh, program. Yeah. That's important the for the everyday investor. Especially think about how many times we've written over the last uh, three years about bond trading platforms being launched, fixed income trading platforms being launched, crossing sure. networks, dark pools, ATSs. Um, how many of those have now closed down or merged, like you know, Night and Gecko, and now, uh, which is now part of. Uh, Virtue, yeah, doesn't I think? Um, you know, are they still governed by Reg SCI? Who knows? Um, in a somewhat sort of ironic turn of twist of events, <laughs> <laughs> to contact the SEC for comments saying, Look, the senators are uh, saying you're a bit rubbish on transparency. Do you have any comment? And then just literally got your back saying, Decline comment. So, <laughs> point, I don't know. <laughs> well, is it cynical of me as I was reading your story there? Was, is it cynical of me to think the reason why they don't want to talk about it, the reason why they don't have a list is that they don't have their, you know, shit together, quite frankly, that, that maybe that there isn't much oversight happening for this in this wonder, sector? Right? I mean, the SEC doesn't seem to have the same budget woes as like the CFTC, for instance, mm -hmm. which is perpetually underfunded. Um, but in the same way, they have a lot of stuff to work through. They've gone through practically... I mean, when it comes to derivatives, particularly nothing about their Dodd-Frank rulemaking requirements, security-based yeah. swaps are still in transit and that kind of thing. Um, but you do have to wonder if they kind of just put this rule in place and then just quietly forgotten about it, or just like pushed it off to the side so maybe OC can deal with it or someone like that. Um, because think about who we talk. I mean, God, we j recently we had a roundtable. It was an off-the-record roundtable with a bunch of industry experts. No one mentioned RegSci no. to us. No one, no one has said to me, oh, from the vendor community, from the end-user community, from the exchanges anywhere, has said, oh, man, reg side, man, we just went through an audit on that, or we just handed in information, they came back with all these questions. Nothing. And every other regulation, I've heard at least a little bit of something you about. You do sometimes come, I think it would be actually relatively easy to build um, a list of people who are subject to it from financial reports, but obviously that only applies to public companies, not mm -hmm. private companies, who obviously don't disclose that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, you're right, that's the only place you hear about it is in a case um, where they say we are subject to Reg SCI and therefore have to hold our technology in the risk section, like it's usually like Note 14 or something. 
Um, but yeah, when I'm talking to anybody, no one I don't think in the last two years has brought up like SCI to me, apart from maybe when it went live. That was the only time. Yeah. So, hey, look, I mean, SEC, if you're listening and you disagree, feel free to come on the podcast and tell us all about <laughs> it. But <laughs> well, and I think the, other, the you know I don't know much about Senator Warner outside yeah. of this, um, but the fact that he's looking at this and also the connection to IoT because you know, it's something that me and you we've talked about, we've had the conversation on on the podcast. Um, the security issues that are going to really come to a head here in yeah. the coming years based off of IOT, it's important that we, that we're, that we stay ahead of the curve and we meaning the American people, the American Congress, um, and our regulatory, uh, machine stays ahead of the curve yeah. on this. Granted, you don't want to go down too heavy of a hand with something we don't quite know yet. But no, it is important yeah. that we're always monitoring. Yeah, exactly. And his suggestions and that, that bill was actually quite sensible. It just said things like, you know, it has to conform to certain connectivity standards. It can't have hard-coded passwords that can't be changed, all that basic stuff. I mean, that I think the genesis of that was from um, something he'd spoken about in the Senate about how hackers were hacking baby cams and stuff like that. Yeah. Rather than the financial services, but you know, it's equally applicable. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I remember uh, there was an FBI uh, speaker at one of our events talking about how you know, you leave, there's these um, dolls, or no, it's uh, Anthony Schifrignano. Uh There are these dolls that you, the child can ask it a question and it's connected to the internet through Wi-Fi and it kind of like understands what you're saying and then it'll try and spit you back. It's a Siri put into a baby doll, basically. Right. And they showed how easy it is to hack into that and turn it into a microphone. So if you leave that baby doll in your father's office, your mother's right, office, yeah. boom. Yeah, yeah. Screwed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit terrifying, isn't it? Like me as feature reading, I was a bit like kind of ooh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, when you really think about how much stuff we have and how vulnerable we are to this kind of thing, it's you know. It's we just don't care about giving up our privacy. I mean, we just have decided. You know, it's when you agree to some social networking, or even if you don't, I think these days there is no such thing as complete. What these more? What these morons in uh, Wisconsin or whatever that had that got. That had a microchip put into their hands. Those guys, yeah, the yeah. workers in the. Uh, Are you insane? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, what the hell? Yeah. B, what the hell? Like, come on, you know. I, uh, so, but we don't care, people. So we, when we lose all of our freedom, just understand. Yeah, when we're all low yeah. drones in the yeah. future, then it's your fault, Wisconsin. Yeah, exactly. Cheers, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. GOT. So, GOT. Game of Thrones. I think it was easily. One of the best, if not the best, episodes that JT has produced, I think. So obviously, spoilers here, but why, why, why did that one really jump out? I just to thought you? it was uh, every encounter, every scene. I thought was well pitched. Um, the reunion between Arya and Sansa mm -hmm. um, was surprisingly low key, and that really worked. I thought um, the interaction between Daenerys and and John um, in the caves, which I'm half convinced you. Kind of scribble on the walls yeah, I mean those were those were very <laughs> clear drawings exactly. on the wall from thousands yeah. of years ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at this perfectly drawn White Walker here on the wall. It's yeah, it's yeah. proof. There we go. So, um, and I think uh, you know the, the reading between John and Theon, where he's just like the only reason I'm not killing you now is because you let Sansa escape. Mm -hmm. um, that was really well done. I think part of the reason why I think it was so good is because I have sat through the whole sort of six years of it before this, and a lot of things are now starting to come to a head very quickly. Um, and then the battle, uh, like the, which was just battle incredible. Scenes, yeah. you know? But I thought the best thing about the battle was that um, from minute to minute, I, at least me personally, um, I didn't know which side I was on. But so at one point, I was like, oh, crap, they've shot the dragon. You know, Daenerys is going to die. And the next minute, I was just like, no, Jamie, don't mm -hmm. run ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, 
there's no kind of winner and I thought it was just so well done and so sort of pitched so brilliantly that I think it can easily stand up there with some of the best TV of modern times like you know some of the last episodes of The Sopranos uh, obviously classics episodes of West Wing as you said earlier mm-hmm. um, the the Wire episode where um, Stringer Bell finally gets to come up and it's oh. widely regarded as being one of the best episodes of TV sure. of all time uh, the first episodes of season 3 of Battlestar Galactica which won the Peabody um, yeah I think it has a, a decent chops to stand for this I think, well, first of all, it, it can't win any awards because explain to me how when Jamie gets knocked off the horse, he falls into a deep abyss of yeah, water. I did wonder that. You like, know, that was one hell of a push <laughs> is all I got to say. Yeah, I mean, the battle scene, the, how realistic the dragon looked and how there, there you couldn't tell that their CGI is truly out of this and world. And it was so well paced. Like, the bit where, um, I think, is it Jamie just goes, like, listen, like that. Yeah. And that drags on for, like, a good minute and a half. And all, you don't even know what it is at first. And you just hear a bit of a rumble. Yep. And then you start hearing the um, the Dothraki, like, sort of going, yeah, thing. Yep. And then you're like, oh, crap, the Dothraki coming. This is awesome. We finally get to see him in action. And then that massive fucking dragon just goes up. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Okay. Brilliant scene with the fog of war. Jamie's kind of looking around at these guys being burned and mangled. Yeah, turns just, ash, like he yeah. guys he just ordered there. And he's yeah. Kind of going, oh. yeah. <laughs> and of course he gets out okay. And Tyrion, uh, <laughs> well, like, you know, I felt really sorry for Tyrion just down there. He's just like, oh, I'm winning, but this is really, really rubbish. <laughs> so I told uh, my girlfriend as we were watching, I go, just so you know, you're all excited right now. By the end of this, Daenerys is going to be bad. She's yeah. going to be evil. And you're going to be rooting for Cersei to stop. Uh, Cersei's going to come to her senses. Realize, you know what, we got to stop the White Walkers here. And we're going to be rooting for Cersei, and we're going to hate Danny by the end of this. She that's my prediction. Queen. Yeah. How much do you reckon that Danny and Jon Snow get married, and that's how he gets out of bending the knee? That's probably going to be the way to do it, isn't it? Well, they did have uh, a little bit of a romantic scene in the cave. You know, it I mean, uh, there was. There was brother, sister thing yeah, I mean, you know, you just, yeah, when you know too much information, it's I guess. and nephew, isn't it? I think that's the relationship. It's. Is it her nephew? Is not brother, stepbrother, or something like that? A so, brother, stepbrother. So her brother was, if the theory is true, I think her brother was John's father. No, that can't be right. Her brother was Ned, or no? So Ned? No, wait, hold on. So Ned's sister. Ned's sister. Her was with the Targaryen. Was that her uncle, or was yeah. that her brother? I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're either brothers or... or, or the way I've always understood people explain to me was that they're brother or sister, or at least half-brother, half-sister, but, you know, there's plenty of incest going on in that show. By the so. way, it doesn't matter. You're going to have one yeah. feet. So um, but, yeah. But yeah. She'll be evil, and I look forward to that turn, that heel turn, you know. Um, it's going to be good. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, the White Walkers are still walking. Still walking. Wall. It's a long walk. It's a long walk, yeah. It's... Uh, Oh, I think in the uh, the kind of next time on Game of Thrones, and they said the next episode is going to deal with that. Yeah. Sort of approaching the eastern. Sort of yeah, I mean they finally started mentioning, it, and so that's you know that's really the whole season that I've just been waiting for. Th- really, this whole this whole show yeah. I've been kind of waiting for. You know, since Hard Home, that, the battle there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's more of this, please come on. Um, so we'll be back next week to give uh, another roundup and uh, my hatred of you know the snows. Yeah, the Arya Sansa thing. Like the fact that with uh, Arya with her little needles supposed to be on par with Bran. Really? She's that advanced? Yeah, she's that strong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she yeah. can parry a blow from um, what's Yeah, with a little there? needle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
that's enough for today. <laughs> Not for today. I'll, I'll rant about it tomorrow as we're uh, at the bar. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, anything else, uh, Jim? First, uh, first game of the Premier League season tomorrow. Oh, yes. yes maybe, maybe we'll have a little bit of a catch-up about that, uh, we'll that. next week. Weekend's events, yeah. Yeah. All right. Talk about that instead of ESG. Um, all right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Have a good weekend. Cheers.